Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Out of the gates and ready to go. Outkick 360 is underway. Glad you're with us from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Hunting Withrow here. You there and a big Thursday show. Dane Bradshaw from the SEC Network. He will be on the call for the SEC tournament later this evening for the two games tonight on SEC Network. That will be uh, coming your way in about 20 minutes. Plus, Armando Salguero and Trey Wallace of Outkick.com. Chad, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Hutton. Fired up, ready tournament for time. Uh, the start of the end of the week here on a Thursday. The last time the SEC tournament was in Nashville, we were in a shutdown, right? We were, Has it, it been that long? Yes. It was right before the COVID outbreak. I feel like now the schedule is like, it's like four out of five years it'll be in Nashville. They've gotten to a more regular schedule, maybe three out of four, but they want Nashville to be the more permanent hub, but with the occasional exception. A year ago, it was in Tampa. That's right. But yeah. And it's in full swing. Davey Hudson's going to be monitoring the scoreboards throughout today's show. Uh, Game one of today's slate in the SEC is nearing conclusion, at least in regulation, Plenty of games on the slate as well, David. What do you have? Right now, the big game in the SEC, Mississippi State at Florida. I mean, this one comes down. Mississippi State on the bubble. Also, if they, they're up by three at the moment, if they're able to pull this one off, they will be facing off against Alabama. Florida and Mississippi State tied at 57. Chad, your thoughts on the spread that you bet Prior to tip-off. Davey had the score right, by the way. As he, he was saying that, the three was in the air. 36 seconds to and play. And Florida buries a three. 36 seconds left. 57 to 57. Um, this would be great news for Vanderbilt. Would Mississippi stay on the bubble? A team Vandy just beat yeah, without right. Liam Robbins at home. And this would put Mississippi State's NCAA tournament credentials on hold. I think this would be a big blow to Mississippi State. They, they, they have to win this game. They have to be playing this like they have to win this game. Tied with 36 seconds left. Florida without Colin Castleton, their best player. Duke leads Pitt 24-13. to And Ohio State early over Iowa also in the first half, 14-13 the score there. Chad, uh, college basketball, we're not going to see an institution of the sport moving forward. And that's Jim Beheim at Syracuse. I will never be accused of being the biggest Jim Beheim fan. Have not been throughout my lifetime. But the amazing thing about Jim Beheim is I am 41 years old, and his head coaching career at Syracuse has lasted six years longer than my life. That's incredible. It is. And I respect it. I, I, I don't love the personality. Heck of a basketball coach, an institution. In the last few years, this is not an in memoriam. You know, these, a lot of these guys are still with us. But Roy Williams leaves coaching. Coach K leaves coaching. Jay Wright at Villanova leads co- leaves coaching. And now Jim Beheim forced out at Syracuse, certainly not retiring, based on him not having a quote in the team's official release. It's a blow to everyone who watches college basketball and remembers these guys from their childhood. 
even. So I think there's something to be said about that and how we're sort of moving into a new era. Who is the Jim Beheim now of college basketball? John Calipari? I'm trying to think about guys that are synonymous with the sport that have been coaching forever. It's Tom Izzo is the longest tenure Tom coach. Tom Izzo's a good one. He's the longest tenure coach in the country. But those guys now are – that's the thing about college sports are a coach's sport. Yeah. College basketball especially. Coach's sport. So that's something to keep in mind now is another legend of the game well, is stepping aside. But when I, when I see this, the, the quotes he's, give, he's giving yesterday at the presser and then the, the response from Syracuse, this needs to be better on the university's part, right? Just from a, an optics standpoint, right? You can tell he doesn't want to retire. It's obvious based on the quotes. It's a university decision. Ask them. I'm paraphrasing, but it doesn't make sense. And for a, for a coach that's been there as long as he has, Chad's right, it's an institution. You have to be better than that on the final game if he's going out that way. Considering what he's done, five Final Four appearances, I believe, two since we uh, saw Carmelo in the Syracuse uniform. Chad, it's got to be better on the Q's part of this, not on Bayham's part. Well, I think both probably could be a little better, um, but certainly it's it's on Syracuse. Why do you have to release that statement? But don't you des- just a little bit after the game? At some point, don't you deserve in your career to go out the way you want to go out if you're going to retire? If you want to do one more year, what is that going to hurt Syracuse I, I, if they're I'm promoting sure, from within? I'm sure there's been talk about this for a while, so Syracuse probably thought they were at an impasse. Yeah, and they just had to release it and say it. And but he's I, 78. There's there's no rush. I know. Yeah, exactly. There's no coaching search. You're, you're promoting Adrian Autry from within. So why not wait a month it doesn't and need to go be the back and forth after the loss. and you're say, right. Coach, you're a legend. Let's put your quote in there. You can support your guy who has supported you. Let's talk about this. Let's negotiate a buyout if that's what it's going to take. You can say retirement, and we'll still give you a buyout. Something other than this, which is what? Minutes after the game ends? They put this statement out, and Bayheim's not a part of it. That part of it is on the university. There's, there was no rush. They could have waited well, to come to an agreement with Bayheim before making this announcement. And, a ba- and based on his age, he's going to be asked about. He's been asked about this what the last five or six years. Yeah, right. He's seventy-eight. Of course, that's the obvious question. They also haven't been very good lately. Yeah, it's a, a big no- part. And another disappointing season. But when you put in totality what he means to the university, I don't. I don't let the coach go up there and act like, well, just ask the university what I'm going to do. Or I tried to do that last week and you guys didn't catch on. Like, it should not be that way. He deserves more than that compared to what we would say the average coach lifespan is. Is what, five or ten years? If you're good, then you're on to the next thing, the next challenge. You're at least accepting visits for an offer to go somewhere else. Bayheim hasn't done that. Well, That's it's, the al- it's almost like they scheduled a post on the official announcement and didn't keep in mind that, yeah. oh, this guy's got a press conference after where he's going to say repeatedly, it's on the university. It's, it's, it's their, their decision cho- now. It's their choice what they, they want to do. They could have uh, you know, unscheduled that post and come back and said, let's talk to Coach and let's take a month and work this thing out where it's more amicable. Yeah. Instead, it's silence from Jim Beheim. Chad, we got Dane Bradshaw coming up. Uh, by the way, Mississippi State and... Florida in overtime now and states up by three, 60 to 57. We'll keep you updated in real time here from the uh, game one over at Bridgestone Arena here in Nashville for the SEC tournament. 
Tennessee and Ole Miss uh, follows. Trey Wallace is there courtside. He'll join us in between games. Uh, and then at halftime, he'll check in for sure for Tennessee and Ole Miss. I'm hearing a lot about collusion and the fact that the NFL owners are not colluding together to keep Lamar Jackson from having a fully guaranteed contract like Deshaun Watson. Okay, you're, I'm hearing a lot from the media. Not collusion. We're not seeing it. The, the deal for Deshaun Watson wasn't great. It doesn't mean the owners are colluding. Take a step back and think to yourself, with your favorite team, your team is not picking up the phone, trying to negotiate with Lamar Jackson compared to the quarterback you have. And if you're a fan of 25 teams not in the playoffs on a routine basis, you have to be asking yourself why. That's my point from yesterday compared to the fully guaranteed deal. The teams rushed in to tell anyone that would call them, and I believe the reports, the Falcons are not interested. The Panthers are not interested. Dolphins, uh, Commanders, plenty of others. And you think, why wouldn't you at least get involved in negotiations for a quarterback that's way better than the one you have? A quarterback that has a better passer rating from in the pocket than the top QBs in the league. Last year, when he played, he was 8-4 and four as a starter for Baltimore. Former league MVP and dynamic, athletic. The locker room absolutely loves him. You can tell that based on the games he didn't play in December in Baltimore. Chad, I don't understand why more teams aren't just staying quiet on this for the obvious connections they would have for bringing him in in the cap space. Instead of saying, yeah, we're not, we're not in the Lamar Jackson negotiation. This is not about the fully guaranteed deal, for me at least. I'm surprised there are not more teams staying back and saying, hey, let's, let's pick up the phone and call. And they still could. They still could get involved with all this. But I was within, what, an hour and a half, we had five teams, the obvious ones, that said, yeah, we're not, we're not going to negotiate with them. I think it's just so difficult to prove collusion. Well, not coll- it is whether we're gonna say it is or not. I just there's it's the, almost impossible to but prove. I think the teams also know the Ravens are going to match the best offer, and the best offer is not going to be fully guaranteed. So that's I think part, these teams just know the, the issue is they know what the Ravens know about what Lamar Jackson wants. We all do. So if it's if the starting point and the end point is fully guaranteed contract on par with Deshaun Watson. Right. They're not going to talk to him. So, so I understand that because no one wants to do that because they want the Browns deal to be the only one. But within an hour of it being legal to talk to him, they were telling reporters, we're they, not interested. For optics that's, purposes of a possible lawsuit very, collusion, he needs to go negotiate with some teams. I'm with you on that. It's very Someone surprising. needs to at least act like they're negotiating in good faith with Lamar Jackson. Well, and there are other teams that He can't that could. get shut out. I mean, other someone's going to talk to him. But the, the Ravens basically said, hey, go about this. You know, we, you're, you're wide open here. We have the chance to match. But we don't think you're going to get the fully guaranteed deal. There is a lot of wiggle room in between what the Ravens offered. Uh, 130-plus million guaranteed was the reported final offer last August. To where it reaches the the Watson level, which is 250 fully guaranteed. Based on reports, the Ravens offer is $100 million off 
where Lamar Jackson wants to be. If another team comes in, they don't have to be Jimmy Haslam. But if they come in and say, we're $50 million better than your final offer, and he takes it, why wouldn't you take that opportunity to figure out if you can get a dynamic quarterback on your roster? I don't understand that. I, I, I'm with you. For a league that I, says I just, we do everything possible, we turn over every stone to find talent, you have the opportunity, which you don't get in a typical offseason, with a non-exclusive franchise tag on a QB that has been there and done that at the highest level for his position. He's won only, the MVP. The only thing that supersedes wins in the NFL is money. That's it. That's the only thing. And this is all unless about the you league's have, money. Unless, but you, how do you make more money? You have the quarterback. I am telling you, though, the rest of the league is sitting there saying, this is bad for everyone. They hate Jimmy Haslam. No one owner Chad, wants to be that guy hang on. who becomes the other one that hurts you, the league's pockets. You know where I'm going here, though. If Justin Herbert or Joe Burrow, we can go down the list. If they are available on a non-exclusive franchise tag, what's the phones like what, what, for, for the agent? Yeah. This is where I think Lamar needs an agent, by But the way. again, if everyone says you're not getting the Deshaun Watson fully guaranteed contract, they're not getting the Deshaun Watson fully guaranteed contract because there's no other league to go but, to. But that's the not the... live tour that's doesn't not exist the for football. That's not the report. The report is the Falcons aren't interested in Lamar Jackson. It's not that they're not interested in giving them fully guaranteed. And by the way, the Falcons were one of the finalists, quote-unquote finalists, for Deshaun Watson. But why do you think they're not interested in him? They don't want to give him the Deshaun Watson contract. Yeah, and these reporters but, that but, are making these reports, they're talking to teams. Well, so they're not going to come out and say, teams all also, of these teams are out on, Deshaun, are on Lamar Jackson because they don't want to give him a fully guaranteed hey, contract, even but, though we know that. But you don't go out. You know, I don't tap out on the fully guaranteed. I don't know what Lamar Jackson's willing to take. He's just not going to take 135 million guaranteed, where he sees Watson getting 250. There's a big gap between that number. That's my point with all this. Yeah, I. And he also knows what Burrow and Herbert are about to command. It's weird. I think I'd hire an agent if I were him. This is where he needs. I mean, this would be the point where I'm thinking this isn't going well right now. Maybe I should hire an agent. But he needs an agent to get his message across. Right, like the, the or he the, needs an advisor right that can talk only, to reporters and get the, his message out. Well, right, because the the, the I mean, message I could, I could text a reporter if I'm him and say, "Here's what's going on," <laughs> anonymously. Yeah, right, I, I mean, someone I should say, do that. When you see reports on him or the or the Baltimore Ravens, it's coming through the team. It's not coming through him. We haven't heard anything about this negotiation until now, and all we've heard is the Ravens are 200 percent sure that he's back. Well, the only way they know that, they're going to match any offer that anyone brings. And if not, they're getting two first-round picks. That's a steep price. We've only seen that happen one time in 30 years. Pointed this out yesterday. But also keep in mind, we haven't seen a quarterback like this. And we saw the, the Browns give up three first-round picks to the Texans, plus second- and third-round picks in exchange for a fully guaranteed deal with Deshaun Watson. So when you think about the price tag, I would not be saying to any reporter, yeah, our organization's out of here. We're not interested. Desmond Ritter or Lamar Jackson? Really? For Arthur Smith's offense? Sign me up for it. It's worth two first-round picks, and it's worth $200 million instead of 250 I don't know what the number would be 
But Lamar's going to take more than whatever he's been offered from Baltimore. Well, if everyone in the league is saying, we're not going to do what the Browns did, you know, in that contract. Then that's collusion. Then, yeah, it's collusion. But also, then why wouldn't you just meet with Lamar Jackson if he's an upgrade and tell him what you're going to do? And then when Lamar Jackson goes to seven different teams and they're all saying, what that is, is not the league. That is an idiot owner. Here's what your value is. Here's what we're willing to offer. If he got consistent messaging from every team, they can't prove collusion with that. That's just what the market's been before this just ungodly contract for a guy who had charges of uh, molesting masseuses for the Browns. I mean, that's what I'm saying if I'm the other team. right? It's like, no. It was suspended for 12 weeks. Yeah, we're not going to do that. And still got it. The one is not the whole. You know, look at other contracts recently. That's what you're more in line with. Here's what we're willing to do. But but I'm with you on it. The quarterback is not every other position either. It's counterproductive to not negotiate with him. I agree with you on that. That's what's weird about it. But that's where I feel like you could get the message across to Lamar Jackson, agentless Lamar Jackson, by doing that and having all the teams tell him that. Geno Smith is getting $53 million in 2023 with Seattle. I'll just leave it at that. That's where Lamar Jackson is saying, hey, Long-term contract compared, here we go. And we have so many teams saying, yeah, we're not interested. Maybe they're, maybe they're lying. We've seen that happen before. It'll happen again. It's happening now. But I would, if I'm an organization, I'm not saying one way or the other what's up. And I'm trying to get in touch with him to see what he wants. Yeah. What the bottom line it would not. Is. It's counterproductive to not talk to him. Coming up, we switch gears. We talk hoops. Dane Bradshaw joins us in studio, the former Vol. He'll be on the call tonight for the SEC tournament in Nashville. He's in studio next on Outkick 360. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back and their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless from researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience. Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Coming up, we'll have scores and updates for you from Bridgestone Arena at the SEC Tournament, plus across the country. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick Network. Hutton and Withrow with you, live from 6th and Peabody. With Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Chad, we have a friend of the show in town for the SEC Tournament, for the SEC Network. And 
before he heads over to Bridgestone Arena for the evening sessions. He's joining us in studio. Great friend of the show, Dane Bradshaw, SEC Network, also award-winning fifth-grade basketball coach. Yes. A man of many talents in studio with us with the coverage with the ESPN SEC Network this week with the SEC Tournament. Dane, welcome in, man. Thanks a lot. Yeah, that uh, third-place trophy out of six teams in fifth-grade league is, is something I hold near and dear to my heart. It sits with no you. No contract extension earned this the, year. And the losses stay with you, don't they? As a coach, they always stay with would you. Would you have accepted the sixth-place trophy? <laughs> yeah, I, I would have. Oh. I, 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 uh, because, you, yeah, you, you got to uh, suck it up and get in the handshake line and all that. Fair but, enough. Uh, yeah. You have a really good game tonight. Uh, two of them could be very good, but Auburn-Arkansas, to me, is maybe the best matchup yeah. just on paper in this tournament in the early going. Um, two teams you've, you've had this year. So what do you think about these two teams and their, the state of them coming into this game? Uh, well, well, first, the fact that SEC play was so competitive that you've got two bona fide NCAA tournament teams as a 7-10 and 10 seed in the SEC tournament. And so that goes to show you the parity across the league and – Arkansas, to me, outside of Vanderbilt's chase for an NCAA tournament bid, Arkansas is the most interesting story of this tournament because they have Nick Smith Jr. back. They bona fide five-star freshman who was – he didn't start uh, the season. where He was out with a knee injury, came back. Then he was out. People thought maybe he wouldn't even come back and rejoin the team at all because he's a future lottery pick. He comes back mid-February, and they've had some growing pains inserting him to the lineup. But on paper – They've got as high of a ceiling as anybody in the SEC. Now, can they click at the right time? Because time is starting to run out. But, man, you, you think about their backcourt with another freshman, Anthony Black, with Nick Smith Jr., as I mentioned, Rick, Ricky Council. The fourth is a 15- to 18-point score for you. They're not great on the interior. But, man, when you talk about March and guard play, that they've got a big-time ceiling, even more so than Auburn. However, Auburn has kind of had a more consistent lineup the whole year. They're more veteran uh, group. And those guys have a chip on the shoulder. Even Wendell Green, the guard for Auburn, was still talking about last year when Arkansas beat Auburn to knock Auburn off of their uh, number number one seed in the country. And there was the uh, uh, court storming and, and all that. And so it, it's got a little bit of an edge and rivalry to it. Vandy LSU in the nightcap. You, you'll be on the call for that one. Vandy's won eight of their last nine. Their lone loss at LSU, who finished dead last in the SEC. What is it about LSU that makes it a difficult matchup for Vandy? Or was that sort of an outlier type game where Vanderbilt lost in Baton Rouge just a little while back? Yeah, I would say an outlier. And if Vanderbilt had to do that game over again, I think they would have changed their coverage. Uh, KJ Williams uh, is the one bright spot individually for LSU. He's a He's a pick-and-pop, uh, spread-the-court five-man. And he had 35 points, I believe, five of 10 from three in that first matchup. And when they had Liam Robbins, I never want to say Vanderbilt's better without Liam Robbins. That's far from the truth. But when Liam Robbins was in that game, they used Liam Robbins in this what we call drop coverage. He kind of sagged in the paint, and they didn't guard that as well. Now with a smaller lineup, they're going to get out and chase the big man off the three-point line and say, by God, LSU is not going to beat us from three. That's the only way they can win, and that's how they did win. And so I would expect a much more aggressive defensive coverage there. And, and if they do that, I, I think Vanderbilt um, is clearly the, the better team. And and I, I've, my hat's off to Jerry Stackhouse and that team. I mean, this was a team that used to find ways to lose. Now they're finding ways to win. And I've been on both sides of that huddle, man. Uh, you were in a huddle where you're like, here we go again. Even when the game's not over, you can just feel it as opposed to 
when you're a winning team, you're like, it's cool. We got this. And I think that's what Vanderbilt has right now. When you look at Tennessee right now, Dane, I think it's easy to say the Arkansas game is the formula without Zakai Ziegler in the lineup. How they played that game, how Vescovy ran point at times, how they ran point guard by committee. And I think for a large portion of the Auburn game, you can say, okay, that's the formula too for this team to have success, even on the road where they had a chance to win that game. Um, how realistic is that for Tennessee to consistently play that way, to win games, not just in this tournament, but in the big tournament next week? Uh, I'm in favor of Vescovy being off the ball for a huge majority of the game and not bringing the ball off the court. He doesn't have blow-by speed. So when you pressure him full court, I think it's exhausting for him just to get it up to half court and initiate the offense. So now you've got him doing that. And then be your best screener, your best cutter, your best shooter, your best playmaker. I just think you don't have to have him bring the ball up the court. You can get Meshack to do that. Tyreek Key can do that. Josiah Jordan-James. Have somebody else. Because think about how much energy it takes to bring that ball up the court as opposed to to a two or three man on the wing that kind of jog up the court and get to their spot, right? Yeah, I mean, they get to almost have a breather for six or seven seconds while the point guard's working it up the court. And so, I, I look, I think by committee they can do that. Um, I don't know that Tennessee is a top 16 team in the country, but I still think they can make the Sweet 16 because of the way they're going to be rewarded for their body of work. If they can hang on, get a three seed, now you've got to beat, a, what, a 14 and then either a six or 11 – I think they can do that. Uh, and then from there, you say, hey, look, it's been a, a roller coaster season, but here we are in the Sweet 16, and, and anything can happen from there. So I'm, I'm still bullish on their chances to get there. Obviously, their, their ceiling is lower without Zakai Ziegler. Dane Bradshaw in studio with us from the SEC Network. will be on the call tonight for the evening session of the SEC tournament. The Blue Bloods are really forgotten this season yeah. in, in a weird way from the top 25. From the Kentucky perspective, what should we expect from the Wildcats in this tournament and moving forward? Yeah, th these guys were left for dead. I, I give them a lot of credit. After that loss to South Carolina at home, and then they bounced back and beat Kentucky on the road. And it's just been one of those things where whether it's an injury or their bad defense or their bad offense, as soon as they plug one hole and it's like, all right, we fixed our ball screen defense. Then next thing you know, they've got an injury to point guard over here. And you're like, all right, now we've got to fill that up. All right, now Xavier Wheeler is he even coming back this season. Who's going to play backup point guard? Then, So it's just been a, a roller coaster ride. But, um, you know, there, there was a lot of narrative of Calipari's lost his locker room. How can they even talk about him for the Texas job when they're not even going to make the NCAA tournament? And they've weathered the storm. And they never went on one of those really long losing streaks. It wasn't always aesthetically pleasing. But they've got themselves in a position um, to make a run. And if I'm a Kentucky fan, it's like, look, I, I can understand why you still have concerns. Like, hey, we should be more dominant than we are because we have such a high standard at Kentucky. But for now, j just enjoy this team that hasn't quit and embrace the fact that this isn't a team that you should be that frustrated with in terms of we have more talent than everybody. Why aren't we reaching our potential? You, you really don't. They're, they're not out-talenting people. They, and to, uh, to keep winning, they have to out-tough, and they have to out-smart, which was a challenge for them to do, too, but they're starting to do that. So is Calipari coaching this team differently than previous years? You say they're not out-talenting people. That's very unusual for a Calipari team. Yeah, I, I think so in, in terms of he's probably had to be a lot more patient on the defensive end because 
Oscar Sheboy, yeah, you're better with him on the court offensively. But, man, he, he was a defensive liability. Just teams were abusing him in ball screen co- coverage, then off the ball. So they did change some things with their coverage, and they've, um, they've adapted. And, and even Antonio Reeves, their best scorer, like that guy's not going to be on anybody's all-defense team. It's not lack of effort. It's just, man, he's, that, that's not his strength. And so uh, I think continuing to try to figure out, all right, how do we kind of try to hide our weaknesses, expose our strengths, Whereas when you have those All-Americans all over the place and John Walls and you got that great athleticism where you're like, yeah, I know we just got beat on a backdoor cut, but at least we had a seven-footer with a 46-inch vertical yeah. come over and clean that up. Like th- <laughs> Then people aren't complaining about your uh, uh, defense, right? Because you got a block at the end of the day. And so he, he just hadn't had that luxury this year. Dane, let's talk coaching. So Jerry Stackhouse has done an amazing job. I was surprised to see a co-SEC coach of the year scenario that did not feature Dennis Gates at Missouri for what he inherited for the transfers. He brought in completely scrapped almost everything. Yeah. Kobe Brown, great guy coming back, but to have this team securely in the tournament in year one is a remarkable job for him. Were you surprised that he wasn't sec co-coach of the year? A little bit, no complaints with, with who they uh, did select Buzz Williams? Absolutely. I, I do think that at times, I don't have any proof of this, but for the coaches' poll, I think sometimes coaches say, "Hey, we know Dennis Gates is probably going to get some national awards and other awards from the AP." To where it's like, "Hey, for a tiebreaker, maybe give somebody else who should be in that conversation too." It's just a little bit of part of that coaches fraternity. By no means am I saying it's some charitable vote. But I do think at times maybe the coaches say it's not a slide on Dennis Gates. It's because of a point you just made. Like, hey, Dennis Gates is going to get his. Let's make sure Jerry Stackhouse gets his too because us as coaches know what a heck of a job he did. Even when they weren't winning as many games, every coach, not even in the media, but behind the scenes at shoot-arounds are like, hey, that dude can coach some ball. He runs some really difficult stuff. What do you make of the way Alabama has handled the Brandon Miller situation since you last joined us, which is two, what, two weeks ago? Yeah. And from then to now, and Miller spoke, but he's not going to speak again. He says, headed to the tournament, they're going to get the questions. They've right. handled it well to this point, and now tournament play comes. Yeah, I, I think even if you would ask them, in hindsight, they wish they would have done some things better, right? I, I think that's something, no matter what side of the argument you're on, like, yes, this whole thing could have been done better. And I think both sides would agree well, and they also that. admittedly dane said we didn't know about the text yeah right until the court proceeding happened they said that's one fact that we weren't told right that we didn't know that he got a text yeah. to bring a gun back at sure. that point so and look that was a surprise to them yeah. i'm saying yeah here, here's a couple things um that i might not i, I might be in the minority on and, and i certainly understand the other side of it but when somebody says hey all alabama and nato cares about is winning i think that's completely false I think there is a parental component to this, an emotional side of, I know this kid, I'm going to have his back, we are going to protect this player. Whether you agree with that or not, I just don't think their number one priority is about winning. This isn't a coach that has to prove himself or get to a Final Four to save his job. I don't buy that. And, you know, there's also folks that say, well, if this was an eighth or ninth man on the team, they would have kicked him off. You might be right. I'm not saying that that would definitely not happen either. But... An eighth or ninth man could also, that kid's future, he could go in the transfer portal and probably hide under the radar and go play for another team next year if nothing new came out, right? Whereas Brandon Miller, 
it is a different animal, not just because what he can do for your team, but that kid's future of going to the NBA, lottery pick, generational change for your family, all those things that I do think that a, a coach, when they put kind of their parent hat on with the player, it, it can change it a little bit as opposed to just somebody separated from the program that's like, oh, that's a, you can't tell me that's not a violation of team rules. He gone. I just think it's it gets a little bit more complicated when you're closer to the situation. What would a 10-game suspension have done? Yeah. That wouldn't have ruined his NBA eligibility. No. He wouldn't have been kicked off the team. And Alabama could have said, hey, we're doing the right thing. We're taking this seriously. And this is something that needed to be done. And you get Brandon Miller back in time for you know the stretch run for March Madness and everything else. And I do think, Dane, if they did that, you know, people like me or others that have been critical of them would not be critical right. at that point. Because, like, hey, they acted. They kicked the guy who may have murdered yeah. off the team. Less And then critical. they suspended the other guy. <laughs> because yeah. I agree. I, look, in hindsight, too, I, I, would, that's, I would have liked to think, if I was in that position, it's like, hey, out of an abundance of caution, anybody that was in that vicinity, we're going to suspend for a few games, cooperate with the police. The report comes out. He's just a witness. Hey, we've already handled it. But when that text and that detail comes out, oh boy, you're still getting some big time scrutiny, but maybe it's a little bit less and the story isn't getting bigger and yeah. bigger throughout the season. And so that, that is something I think, but to just suspend them after the fact and all those things that then it looks like they're hanging the kid out to dry. And you know, it's, it's a, it's a difficult one where I, I do think, um, and, and some folks have said, look, Nick Saban, if this would have happened, he, he wouldn't have stood for it. I can't speak for Nick Saban, but I'm telling you, you can't tell me if Nick Saban thought that this was being so damaging for the university and all these he can't call the chancellor and say, hey guys, y'all, y'all do something over there because I don't like the way our image is. But he's about second chances and standing by the kid. And think about this, if I'm an assistant coach for Alabama, I'm not telling you to agree with this. If I'm an assistant coach for Alabama and I'm recruiting somebody right now, I'm saying, hey, our head coach is willing to get run over his reputation, people taking shots at him to defend the kid. That, that's kind of what you're selling mom and dad on. And, and, at, and if I'm know, recruiting against him, I'm saying, uh, here's a team who's involved in a murder. Uh, you don't want your kid going there. I mean, that's what he's going to have to face also. And, and I will say, I, I think, and I understand your points completely, Dane, I think when they got the new information about the text in yeah. that court proceeding, Greg Burns said, we didn't have that. Mm-hmm. info on the college game day podcast yeah, he said he didn't know about to it. me that was the opportunity to say we're going to sit him for four games yes. for the final two weeks of the regular season at least then you can say you did something would you i, I don't i don't totally disagree with that the, the one thing that I, i'm starting to, to see do that with the new some, yeah and uh, again as because it's um uh, look again it's a tragedy i'm not trying to make anything yeah. light of it but it's been fascinating to me here I've, I've listened to more podcasts gotten more perspective of different opinions on this story than I can think of any story just because I'm fascinated by hearing all those sides and when I'm at shoot arounds I'm asking folks and radio play by play all this stuff it doesn't seem like a lot of people want him kicked off the team necessarily but I do think a lot of folks say hey something should have been done there and um, as yeah I think Gary Parrish has done a nice job uh, doing this uh, documenting this as well saying hey look that's got to be a violation of team rules somewhere and look but um you know, they're, they're doubling down, and I will say it seems they haven't been playing their best basketball necessarily, but it seems like they've, they've stuck together through this. I do think this is really important, though, that the other guys on the team got to show a lot of character, too, because there are some guys, we've all had some bad teammates, 
If they see this window of opportunity, they're like, I'm not going to any class. I dare you to suspend me, right? <laughs> so yeah. you can't have anybody right. trying to like leverage this situation. And so that's where your, your leadership point. and your locker room really have to, to come together. And so far, it seems like they have. When the incident went down with Chris Beard, we had the conversation that day. And that day I said, this dude will get a good job at a Power 5 school at some point. I'm a little surprised it's the very next season. I thought he might have to serve a one-year hiatus and then Louisville or another job would come open because we know the dude can coach basketball. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt about it. What do you think, Dane, about the possibility now of Chris Beard at Ole Miss? Ole Miss is a tough place to win, mm-hmm. and this is a guy from a basketball perspective that he can win at tough places to win. And when you're a school that is looked at as you know bottom maybe three, four job in the league, if you want a big name, you typically got to get a big name with some extra baggage. If you don't want that, that's okay. Guys like Dusty May, very qualified candidates out there, you can go that route too. And so that's where the athletic department's got to make a decision. But I, I, I thought too, like somebody like Chris Beard's like, all right, could you not wait a year and see what else opens up? Like if the Chargers drop, there's more than just one athletic department in the country that's willing to take a, a chance give him a second chance type opportunity. But he was fired for cause at Texas. And he's not getting a paycheck from what I understand right now. So there is a component there of like, hey, I want to get employed sooner rather than later because I don't like my chances of going through litigation with the State University of Texas. So I was fired for cause. I'm not going to fight it. Let me go make $4 million a year. I'm employed and I'm in the SEC and I can get my revenge on my old school when they join. Do you mean to tell me that Iona wouldn't have a good shot at hiring Rick Pitino if there wasn't some problems with Rick Pitino in the past? <laughs> right. I'm shocked. Yeah. Shocked yeah. to hear this. <laughs> What's the backlash going to be like, though, for him? Anything? I, it doesn't sound like it, honestly. No, I, I think um, it, 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 there's always going to be an elephant in the room there. Charges were dropped. Right. Don't know what you don't know type thing, but you got to make assumptions. So, it, look, it, it's it's a weird dynamic, but... He's not the first and won't be the last coach to get a second chance based on his talent. Same way with, with NFL players and NBA players. If you are good enough and you are worth the risk, people will give you a second chance. And it's not because they believe in second chances so much. It's because they want to be competitive and win. Yeah, you don't win. Because it's not about like saving and charitable acts. If that's the case, go get one of the, you know, a mediocre coach that made the same mistake and hire them. No, it's, it's about justifying it because you want to be competitive. Dane, what do you think about this? I only think that it gets blowback if, if and when they're good. And what I mean by that is this Alabama thing wouldn't be talked about nearly as much if they weren't a possible number one overall seed and a team to win. If they weren't going to the NCAA mm-hmm. tournament. With the best player. It wouldn't be talked. That, that's, just, that's just reality, yeah. right? So if he comes in at Ole Miss and they're not very good in year one, I don't think anyone's going to talk about it. But I think if he goes in and by year one or year two, they're a tournament team and he's getting top recruits, there's probably more things written about it. Do you think that's fair? I or do. Or do you think that'll yeah. happen? No, I think so. It'll be um, because if he has that quick of success, the story and the content is still fresher on people's minds. To your point, there's going to be more criticism. If we're here a year later and he is the coach of Ole Miss and they are getting a double buy in the SEC tournament and you have all this media attention, there's going to be some articles that are like, I can't believe we're covering a guy who less than 14 months ago did this. However, if he has that success in year three, 
Yeah, there's probably going to be an article or two, but maybe not as as fresh. So I, I tend to agree with you. And they know what they're signing up for, and they they know that criticism is going to be there. But um, that that's the risk they're they're willing to take. Dane Bradshaw with us. Finally, Dane. Uh, look, you can win your way into the tournament right now, right? How much can you actually improve your seating from the committee standpoint? Do you feel like based on what happens yeah. this weekend? Because last year it just seemed like. The, the bracket was already set. Yeah, it seems like uh, we've been a little bit fooled. I don't say that by the committee, but get our hopes up to a degree. Texas A&M made it to the uh, SEC title game, but it seemed like they had already, if they didn't win it, that the decision had already been made for them not to be in. Yeah. Um, I do think a team like Vanderbilt that has these quad one opportunities, if they can win against LSU, they would play Kentucky, and then you know then you have an opportunity to, to maybe influence that bracket before they have everything set. Do you set. think Vandy's in if they beat Kentucky? That seems to me like that's the line of demarcation. I'm not falling for beat that Beat Kentucky year, or beat A&M. Beat A&M, I think they're definitely in. But are they in if they beat Kentucky for a second time? I think they should be. Yeah. I think they should be. And we're going to do some blind resume stuff tonight. Okay. I think that, uh, so I, I really do. I think they should be. But I'm going to go off of our expert, Joe Lunardi, who, who knows, knows it better than I do. The thing is, if, if they beat Kentucky and then, then they lose their next game, let's say at that point they're sitting on the last uh, last four in. Man, these bid stealers, they, they, they come and gobble you up where you have these one-bid leagues that you think are going to be one-bid, and that like a College of Charleston. Now, bad example because they actually won their conference tournament. But College of Charleston had 30 wins. They played good enough to get an at-large bid in the tournament. However, if they finish second in their tournament, all of a sudden that person – it, that, that conference becomes a two-bid league that you weren't thinking would be, and then bye-bye Vanderbilt or whoever it might be. And so, you know, you, you get really worried about the, those bid stealers and um, playing on the bubble. But I really do. I think Vanderbilt um, deserves it. Uh, I think they're um, – and they have a chance to redeem that bad loss, not that the bad loss is the, – the loss or the win against LSU, if they get it tonight, doesn't completely make up for the bad loss resume standpoint – but then they've won nine out of ten, and who can say that since February first? Only a couple teams, UCLA, and uh, I forget the other. Dane Bradshaw, uh, you do a great job uh, on SEC Network, man. Thank you so much for the time today. Walking down the street, joining us here at Sixth and Peabody, and we've got your uh, hookup on Moonshine and Yeehaw anytime. Appreciate it. Uh, maybe not before tip, but uh, <laughs> hit me after. after yeah, after the game. We'll enjoy the enjoy the banter and respectful we'll be, dialogue. We'll, yeah. 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 we'll hey, be around. Polish off the uh, coaching resume. You know, you don't have to polish off the broadcast <laughs> resume. You're doing a great job there, but yeah. you know, freshen up the coaching yeah. resume just in case you're replaced with that fifth grade team. Yeah, absolutely. I know. I'm on the hot seat as it is. <laughs> Dave Bradshaw has been our guest. Stay tuned. We're coming here at Six the Peabody Outkick 360 on the Outkick Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
Ole Miss and Tennessee just underway for the SEC tournament. Game two on this Thursday. Outkick 360 rolls on. Chad, your thoughts on the Vols and their chances today? Uh, yeah, they should win. I mean, they they're, better, they're better than Ole Miss. Um, I still don't know what Tennessee is without Zakai Ziegler. I think it's uh, very undecided. They had the one game where he goes down, 17 minutes left in the first half, looked great against Arkansas. Looked pretty good at times against Auburn, and then they couldn't score a bucket for the last seven minutes of the game and lose by nine. So I, they're still feeling their way out of how they're what they're going to look like without their star point guard. So they're the fifth seed in the SEC tournament. What seed are they right now in the NCAA? I think they're probably uh, as of today low end three seed. I think they lose today. They're four at best, maybe a five. Um, I think they win today. They're probably getting more secure as a as a three seed. They win today, and then they're slotted. Well, the no matter key what is happens. just avoiding the bad loss. Uh, right. Tennessee does not have a quad three or quad four loss in the season. I believe I don't know what or almost is. I'm guessing this would be a quad three or quad four loss, and it would come in their last game. You know, <laughs> their last right. game leading into the tournament. We have a full scoreboard coming your way in about seven minutes here on Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network. Chad, um, so we've seen plenty of fast food restaurant fights. Yes, there's a new one, Taco Bell. The Crunch Wrap Supreme. Which is delicious. Taco Bell ran out of the Crunch Wrap Supreme. And two girls, one guy. The guy is behind the register. And decides after being shoved and slapped or whatever by the patrons that are upset that the Crunch Wrap Supreme is out. He decides to shove the women that are paying customers at Taco Bell. And then a bystander jumps in, another guy and gets just clocked by the guy behind the register over a Crunch Wrap Supreme. Your thoughts? Hutton, this is a very loose This is use not a Mexican the, pizza. This okay? is a very loose use of the term patrons. When I think patrons, <laughs> I think those at Augusta National taking yeah. the Masters yeah, me too. with a nice, cold Amstel light and maybe a pimento cheese or egg salad maybe sandwich. I don't think you know the people fighting over the Crunch Wrap Supreme at Taco Bell as patrons – so I think it's a very liberal, liberal use of the term patrons by you. Um, Fair enough. I don't know that I've ever thought so highly of a fast food item that I'd come to blows over it. So not for me. And I, I like fat. I'm not anti-fast food. There's plenty I mean, of fast food that I, I love. I, I don't think I'd ever get this worked up over it. I've never been to a fast food restaurant that is serving soft serve ice cream, by the way. The machine is always broken. Or they're cleaning the machine for tomorrow. I never had it. I'm always surprised when they have it. I've never been I was to one somewhere, that has it. I promise uh, you. I was at a McDonald's recently with my girls, and like, we got ice cream, and like I a, had it. Like 11 o'clock in the morning? And I said, I was like, oh, the and, and when I said yes, I was, I was shocked that they had it there, that it wasn't broken. It's was amazing. Here he is. We found the one. It was it. Armando Salguero joins us in 25 minutes. All of the NFL headlines when we come back. A full NCAA tournament scoreboard for you from the conferences. Plus, Tiger Woods' ex-girlfriend wants $30 million because she was tricked. That's next on Outkick 360.